and uh, I'll just go right into the show as soon as we go live. Okay. You always say that, and you something you can hear that on Facebook. I always say we go we're live. Yeah. Go <laughs> to the conversation before. That's cool that you guys do it live. We are live, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours. And right now, tonight, uh, Mark DeMeo, who's usually the other co-host, has a comedy show. He's so happy. He's in Pennsylvania. He's actually doing a show. Oh, really? Yeah, he's doing comedy. So as a a co-host with me, who's a substitute co-host, but much more than a substitute co-host. We have 25-year veteran, first-grade detective for NYPD, Miss Homicide, <laughs> Miss Lower East Side, Irma Rivera. Hi. <laughs> Say hello, Irma. Alpha, not not Lower East Side, Alphabet City. Alphabet City, I'm sorry. I, I used to just call it the Lower East Side. But the uh, we also have a, a special, special guest, and his name is Terrence Herrick. And that's with one N on Terrence. He one R. One R. One N. And it's Terrence Herrick. And he has a podcast called Police Academy. And he's had the podcast for approximately five years. And it's one of the most popular law enforcement podcasts nationally. And I, that for that, I want to pick his brain and find out how I get there. We've only been around shy of, a little shy of two years. But uh, welcome to the show, Terrence Herrick. Thanks, Bill. And, and Irma, thanks for being here. Um, I can, you. <laughs> your intro for Irma, I, I can't follow that up. I mean, <laughs> you got quite the quite the resume. So I'm glad to be here with you guys. Thank you. Well, let me ask you something. You, you live in Nebraska, right? I don't currently. I am from Nebraska. I am at least, as far as we can trace it back, about a seventh generation Nebraskan. But um Hope to get back there someday. Right now, I am not there. Um, all I am in the military, and uh, we can talk about military service as much as you know it. It fits in in your com in this show and your in our conversation, but um, I won't you know talk too much about where I am at, what I'm doing. Obviously, just less well, is better. First of all, I'd like I'd like to talk about a little bit about your police career. You had a relatively yeah. short police career. Mm-hmm. compared to Irma and I, Irma 25 years, myself 27. Yeah. Uh, what, what made you leave the police department after only five years? So, yeah, so it's a, it's a, a lot of things to put it uh, concisely. Um, really what it came down to was um, I love being a cop. You know, people always, wonder like, well, did you not like it? Did something happen? Um, None of those things. Uh, I loved being a cop. I still miss it. uh, Honestly, more now so uh, than I did. You know, I I kind of settled with not being a police officer anymore um, and got used to that. But now I'm starting to miss it even more the longer I'm out. But uh, what it came down to was I appreciate you're breaking down to a misfit between my natural temperament. All right. Can you... You're breaking up. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, you know, you, you were cutting out, you were coming in and out your, uh, your audio. 
It froze up a little bit. He's frozen. Well, Irma, we, uh, you know what you might want to do, Terrence? You might want to sign off and sign back in because right now you froze up and uh, we're just seeing you frozen there at the mic. So one of the things, Irma, that- He's, uh, he's, he's, he's back to normal now. Terrence, can you, you hear us? Terrence, you there? Oh, he just signed off. Just signed off. There, sometimes we get these problems with uh, Facebook Live. But Irma, it's funny, he, he was in a police department, a small police department in Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And um, he left for, you know, reasons of seeing what the police profession was turning into, you know. Right, right. But uh, we, you know, we retired and we see what it's turning into. And it, it, it sort of breaks our heart to yeah. see um, what's, what's going on across the country. How long ago did he leave? Um, do we know that? Uh, I think he left in uh, 2016. Okay. So he was on a very short time. But uh, he has this great podcast, and his podcast called Police Academy, they cover the, um, a lot of the issues of the day, and right. not the easy ones, the, the, the tough ones, the, uh, you know, the Michael Brown uh, case uh, in Minneapolis. Uh, Imagine being in the police academy now with all that stuff that's going on. You know, it's like, it's almost like the 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 public's expectations of the police are way higher than any other profession on this earth. You know, mm -hmm. you think there's any other the doctors or lawyers have that kind of uh, microscope on them? You know, it's so hard these days. My son wants to join the police department. What do you tell him? He wants to join, but he wants to really join the fire department. So he wants to come into the police department first, uh -huh. get the city time, and then maybe transfer to the fire department, which I think is a good idea. Yeah, Plus, I mean, the, fire department, the fire department's a good job. I think Terrence is coming back. We'll admit him back into the room. Maybe you can join both baseball teams, you know, police and the fire. Welcome back, Terrence. Can you hear us? Can you hear us? Terrence is having some. Uh... All right, I'm back. Okay, okay great. Now he's back. We were just talking about uh, the reason, like you did five years on a job, and you, you know, you um, you had some problems. What was going on in the country? We specifically mentioned uh, the Michael Brown case, which you mentioned in, in your bio. You want to talk further on that? Yeah, we couldn't hear you before. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, it's. It, maybe it's saying recording because it is on your end. I'm not sure, but um, anyways. Yeah, so I saw, I kind of saw the writing on the wall as far as what a long-term career in law enforcement looks like. And I, and that my opinion has changed on that now as I've gotten older. Um, you know, I went to college, uh, went straight into law enforcement. I had, had an offer before I had even graduated college. So I was very young, um, jumped right into it. I love the job. Of course, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm very, try to be very straightforward with what the job is. That's kind of the point of my show. Uh, I'm never going to say that everything was, you know, roses and green pastures. I mean, there's, we all, you guys know that there's plenty to not enjoy about being police officers. It's not, a lot of times it's not very fun um, dealing with the things we deal with. And, and especially for me, all the paperwork, but um, I was, I was looking around and seeing, you know, what my options were. I didn't want to sit behind a desk. Um, 
And if you stay in, that tends to be where you end up, right? Uh, you promote and then you become a manager. And I didn't want to end up like the old, old, um, the road dogs that were, we call them retired on duty guys. You know, they, I didn't want to be those guys. So, uh, and then again, coming back to kind of my natural temperament, I'm, I'm more of a kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. So I felt like I was in a box uh, that wouldn't allow me to do a lot of the things in life that I wanted to do. And then all of that combined, I had an offer to go into private business and eventually take the company over. And that kind of was the cherry on the top. You know, I, it came down to weighing the pros and cons of staying in law enforcement, which I loved and getting out into the private business world where there is no ceiling. And for me, for my personality, that was something that we really couldn't turn down. Uh, so we just, you know, we left that career and jumped into private business um, at and that what, time. What, so that's, what was your private business? Um, so we inspected construction projects for the banks that finance them. Uh, so we were in construction, but more on the finance end of it. We're basically risk mitigation. We'd go make sure that everything that the contractor said was being done was being done so that they could continue to fund the project. It's mm -hmm. not all that exciting, but you know, it was, uh, it was at the time. So. Okay. Now you're in the military now, you say? I am. Which, which division of the military? I'm in the army. Okay. Yeah. I don't know, but I've been told. <laughs> the army, the army's very restricting also like the police department, isn't it? It is. So again, it's a long story, but um, what it comes down to really is that there, I, even when I was a police officer, I had an itch to go into special operations. Um, I just, uh, you know, I, I, my hair needs to be on fire. I'm not happy. So uh, going into private business for a while, I wanted that, that adventure um, and never found the thing I was looking for. Started the podcast shortly after I left law enforcement and, you know, obviously continued, but um, it was an itch that I had to scratch at some point. And I, I'm 34 now. I had to join by the time I was 32, I believe. And things kind of came together. Um, namely my wife saying, okay, if you, if this is really something that you feel like you need to do, then, you know, let's do it. And uh, so, so we jumped in again, kind of leaving a career for another one that's completely unrelated. Um, and I mean, it's, again, there's a lot to hate about it, but uh, it, it's great. The, Terrence, the army has taught me a lot about myself. Terrence, let me just ask you something. Mm -hmm. What did you, what the, the geographic area of the the, the town or, or, or city that you were a yeah. police officer, what was it like? Um, so I worked in Bellevue, Nebraska, which is the sister city, smaller city uh, that's attached to Omaha, Nebraska, the biggest city in, in Nebraska. Um, that's what Peyton Manning used to scream out, Omaha, Omaha. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I don't remember what game I was watching. I heard a, an NFL quarterback say it again the other day, but I don't watch the NFL anymore ever since all of this nonsense. I don't watch pro yeah. sports. Period. Um, I I don't very much. Um, 
I, I do if it happens to be on or I kind of like the Chiefs. But uh, yeah, I, I've only watched maybe one game this season all the way through. So I'm with you there. Um, but yeah, so Bellevue, we had around 100 sworn officers. So compared to what you guys are used to, it's, it's tiny. Um, but, you know, in the grand scheme, it's a mid-sized, uh, small to mid-sized department. Um, so we had we had all the issues that the city had, that Omaha had, you know, the, the gangs and the drugs and all that stuff. We just didn't have it in the same quantities. So it was good. Um, I think if going back, so Omaha and Bellevue were my two top choices. If I went back, I'd go, I think I would have liked Omaha better just because there was more going on, more more high paced. Um, but Bellevue was, Bellevue was a good place to be, great department, great benefits. Um, and, and I can't say anything bad about the department. It was, it was a really good place to be. So you could go back on the police department now, if you wanted to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's sort I mean, of tough to do in, in New York city. I, I, well, they used to an age uh, limit. It used to be when I came on, it was 29, but I think now it's like 35. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's obviously that's sort of a, an old 35 sort of old to start. Yeah. Working on a police department, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I did work with a guy who had been prior Air Force, I believe, that joined when he was 35. Um, I have no intentions of going back. I And obviously that's department dependent on their policy. Um, but I mean, as far as my reputation with the department, there would be, they would absolutely hire me if I decided to go back. I mean, that's obviously that's a bit presumptuous, but I think my repu my reputation there precedes me. So I, I, but that's not what I meant by that. I, what I meant is if I went. The department would never take me back. <laughs> yeah. We finally got rid of him. They trade me for like two, you know, three rookies and a, and a, <laughs> and a towel. Yeah. <laughs> I take Irma back though. Cause. Nah. So, so Terrence, I have a question. Like, so who, like, who do you mainly speak to cops in the police Academy or you speak to just rookie cops or just cops in general and what States are you, have you spoken to cops from? Um, I, you mean by, by what States are you, are you talking about like guests on the show? Yeah. I mean, right. Yes. Um, so there's a bit of a branding error. I'll tell, I'll give you that. Um, so I started the podcast really to speak to the civilian side uh, because I left law enforcement right after Ferguson, Missouri happened. And it was unrelated to that. I was already leaving, but um, so, so things, you know, black lives matter exploded. Um, I saw the conversation about law enforcement was obviously way off track as it is again. Uh, so that was really the driving force for me starting the show. I wanted to, to create a place where people could come and know that I wasn't going to blow smoke up their ass to be on, you know, to be blunt. Um, and so that was, that was the goal initially. Uh, I think because it's called police Academy, the assumption is of course, well, this is where you find out information on how to become a cop. So most of my audience now is um, the up and comers. You know, we've got plenty of veteran officers and and currently serving officers, but uh, and retired. But I think from from what I can tell, you know, podcasting is one of these things where you, you can't see your audience face to face. But uh, it seems that most of them are 
um, looking to get into the career field. They're interested in, they're trying to learn as much as they can. So, and, and that's most of the questions that I get from the audiences, you know, how do I, um, how do I prepare for the interview? How do I, you know, what a, a lot of it's like, well, I did this three years ago, you know, do you think I can still be a cop? I get a lot of that. Yeah. So, so they're like potential police officers. Yes. A lot of them. Yep. Well, I saw, I was uh, reading or listening to your um, blog mm. and I saw that you have some cops call in or write in mm. in regards to their experiences right now with being a police officer Yeah, and how a lot of them are very disheartened. And mm -hmm. it was sort of, not that I didn't expect that, but it's still sad to hear it, you know. Yeah, and do, and do you see that across all the states or that some states there are worse than others? I see, it's interesting because nowadays we're so, something that happens in a completely unrelated part of the country, if not the world, affects all of us because we all see it, you know, immediately. It's always, everything's part of the same conversation. So in that sense, everyone is definitely disheartened because they're all watching what happened in Kenosha. They're all watching what happened in Richard Brooks incident in, in, in Atlanta. You know, they're seeing these officers getting crucified for doing their jobs. Mm -hmm. You know, Kenosha, um, that, that, that transitioned into a whole different scenario, but that the Jacob Blake incident. Um, so in that sense, yes, across the board, Everyone's seeing the same thing. They're all seeing, hey, listen, I know that we can't trust our politicians. We know that we can't trust the media. Um, no one is speaking for us. And this is a crappy place to be. There are some in certain areas. Uh, and so this is where it gets department dependent or, or geography dependent. They'll look at their department and go, well, I think that I can trust my agency or I think I can trust my mayor you know, the city council, what have you. So, but even then, even the ones who work at a place where they, they feel like is a good place to be, uh, the department's got their back, they've got a good chief, whatever it is, they, they still have that little question in the back of their head now of, you know, what if I do everything right? And, and I, I end up like the officer in Richard Brooks, you know? So, it's becoming hard to ignore for, for officers out there today. That question is, just, it's always there. And that's, it's unfortunate. Well, you know, Terrence, one of the things that I've said uh, a bunch of times on this show is working uh, in the New York city police department for nearly 27 years and seeing how other government agencies work. Mm -hmm. I was say the police department was head and shoulders above any other agency in the New York city as it mm -hmm. run with efficiency run with uh, good people, good training. And when I hear all of this reform the police stuff, yeah, every agency, every uh, department can be improved, but what, what really needs to be reformed more is, is politicians and the way mm -hmm. the laws they pass and politicians that run certain cities that the violence is out of control, like Chicago, you know? I mean, that mayor should be fired. She's an absolute joke. You know, but yet the press yeah. gets yeah. down on the police department and it's, it's right. so should the Blasio, he should be fired also. In New, New York City crime is, you know, <laughs> they always said because of Comstat in New York City, they were like, I'd hate to be the administration where crime starts to, to go up because they'll clean house. But this is the administration where not only has it gone up, it's exploded. Yes, 
horrible. The city is completely, basically shut down. Yeah, and you can't blame it on the pandemic. It was no. happening. Really, what you can blame it on more so is bail reform. Mm -hmm. um, uh, some of the policies that they've they've instituted, getting rid of um, in New York City is a unit known as anti-crime. And no respect, no respect for the police is number no one. Respect, you know, you saw that with going back. We can trace this thing, I believe, going back to the very first couple of months of Obama's presidency. And I don't want to go on a political rant, but remember the incident with that Harvard professor? Um, yeah, the one that was just walking down the street. And, no, 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 no. He was uh, at his own house, but he didn't have right. his keys. They thought it was a burglary or something. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the police officers were very respectful mm. and they confronted him and it became a big issue. And he was ultimately, I think he was arrested for disorderly conduct. But the president of the United States commented on a local matter saying the officers acted stupidly. And right. he later on had to walk that back. But that's where I think the disrespect and the, uh, the way everyone looked at law enforcement started to change after that. Yeah. Like we said it before, social media has a lot to do with it because social media, like Terrence said before, everything shows up so fast now, everybody sees it. So it's completely different than years ago. Yeah. And I think we're in a, an inflection point in the history of our nation right now. Um, you know, if, if you're familiar with history, you look at, at the, the places where countries kind of make a shift for the worse, where things take that turn uh, where there's no turning back, you know, and the most obvious example is you take Nazi Germany, right? Like how did they get there? Right. They have, they have this uh, modern state that, you know, is democratically elected and they end up with Hitler. So, and of course, you know, anyone, anyone on the left or far left politically is, is like, Oh yeah, Donald Trump, we already did it. It's obviously not what I'm talking about, but, I think we're in a place, I'm worried that we're in a similar place, not that we're going to turn into Nazi Germany. Uh, in, in fact, we're going a different direction. We're going towards communism and Marxism, but that's the, that's the scary part. Um, Bill, I, I find it extremely racist and offensive to you to, to suggest that president Obama is part of this problem. Um, See, that's one but, of the, that's one of the problems is that people can slap a tag on you and intimidate your freedom right. of speech. And, and that, exactly. I don't accept that at all, you know? And that's exactly why I said that, because yeah. that's a perfect example of, you know, hey, listen, we don't have to challenge ideas if we simply attack one's character if they disagree, right? It's, it's, a, it's a part of what is required to get to a Marxist state. You have to silence free speech. So, you know, we, we've been heading down this road for a long time and now i think because um because people on the progressive left uh, i i consider i call them leftists i'm not uh i don't consider a liberal it's not the same thing so there are a lot of liberals out there which in the reality is that republican conservatism is what 20 years ago was liberalism um, they're who are very, um, you know, 
even keel they they're they're processing these things logically and and they're looking for the answers to just like a lot of republicans are but then you have the what seems to be a, a growing base on the left that has been pushing harder and harder and seeing that they're they're making progress and it seems that they've started to take over that party unfortunately so now we're in this place where the politicians are so complicit in you know in this narrative about what the racism um, that persists in the United States, supposedly, obviously there's racism, there always will be, but the pervasive systemic conversation that they push. Um, and yeah, like you said, I think it's, I was laughing when you said reform politicians, because I mean, they're politicians. <laughs> I don't think there's any reforming to be done. Um, we've got to vote in ones that are better, but that may require system change um, or, or adjustments to the system. But, but, but I think we're in a dangerous who? place. I think that, so am I breaking up? Not, yeah, you're a little bit, but I'm saying better for who, better for, you know, who you're voting better for. Well, that's a good point. I, so there's, there's problems with how our politicians get elected, right? Like the way that you get attention as a politician and you get those votes doesn't seem to be working well. Um, I think we have, in my opinion, we got to get money out of Washington. That's, that's a huge problem, but we haven't learned as the human race has not learned how to deal with social media. Going back to what you said earlier, Irma, it's social media has had such a huge impact on this. Um, it's allowed uh, very, very baseless ideologies uh, to grow extremely fast. So it, it's, I don't know. And I don't know the answer. And, and it's also controlled. It's controlled yes. by, by, by the companies that, ha that are running social media, like Twitter, Facebook, you know, they, they're one-sided and people don't realize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. These big tech companies, they're all, they see the world from a very particular perspective. And unfortunately that perspective considers, you know, Bill, you're a racist now because you said that about president Obama, right? So you must be on the far right and we got to watch you now. We're going to shut your channel down. We're going to, we're not going to promote your content. It's going to get put on this list where your videos aren't going to circulate as well as, you know, Vox, uh, which is obviously a leftist or, a uh, you know, on the left side of the spectrum, we'll put it that way. Well, Terrence, like, so, you, yeah, said, I mean, it's, like you said before, that is like a strategy of the left to shut you down, mm -hmm. call you names, and to, mm -hmm. you know, to basically just control the conversation. Oh, you're misogynist, you're this, you're that, you're every, every is to there is. And, you know, I don't accept that. You know, it's, it's, I just, you can call me a name, but that's not who I am because you say I am, you know. Right. And that, that's the scariest thing uh, about losing freedom of speech is how people on one side could define who you are. And that's not who you are. If you mm -hmm. have a certain opinion, I, I mean, I was on LinkedIn one day and I suggested to some uh, West Coast leftists that homelessness was a problem of alcoholism, uh, mental illness, and... Um, drug addiction and mm. they were like that's racist i was like oh my god no that's uh 
that has to do with me being a cop for 27 years and what I observed in my 27 years. If I, leave, if I leave this office right now and I go outside, it's exactly what you're saying. All drug addicts, all mentally ill people who are outside, who are the ones that are really homeless. But but someone tried to slap a label on me because I suggested that. And I was like, rather than argue with them on LinkedIn, right. I, I just, you know, okay, you know. Yeah, and, and it's... Um... You know, I, I'm with you. I when I first started the show, can you guys hear me still? Yeah, I can hear you. You're good now. We hear you. Okay. When I first started, when I first started the show, I was very careful. Um, only it, it wasn't until very recently, when you know, after George Floyd, when things. I don't know what the problem is, guys. I never had to do. Um, yeah. Can you, you hear me now? You broke up a little bit, but now we can hear you. Okay. All right. So um, when I started the show, trying to get my train of thought back, when I started the podcast, I was very careful to try to present things in a way that would bring people in who didn't, you know, weren't sympathetic or pro-police, right? People who um, were kind of drinking, I, I, I always say this, drinking the Kool-Aid, right? The Kool-Aid has dog shit in it. Don't drink it. But for those who are, I'm trying, I tried to really hard to bring them over to like create this conversation. And that's that kind of fits my temperament, but I, I really felt like that was the way. Um, more recently, I've kind of changed that tact. I don't apologize for anything anymore because, listen, like, you know, you can call me whatever you want. It doesn't mean that's who I am because I know who I am. And I, I've looked at, you know, Black Lives Matter. Initially, I was like, all right, what is this thing? I want to I want to really know, do I need to be concerned about my white privilege? Did I, am I doing, is something wrong with who I am? Do I need to change something with me? Um, you know, that was four years ago. And, and through all the research I've done, all the thinking on this and, and speaking on this and writing on this, the answer is no. I mean, I know what's in my heart. I, I, I have nothing against any person I meet, regardless of what they look like. Um, if you're an asshole to me, I think you're an asshole and I don't like you. Like, Period. This is, I don't care what you look like. Um, and I think there's a, a very serious lack of ability for people to think for themselves these days. Again, going back to social media, everyone, everyone is so inundated with what everyone else is saying. And the left is so, um, so vicious about destroying you that, you know, cancel culture, they'll destroy you if you don't agree. So it's easier um, to just kind of go along with it. And the more people go along with it, the more it seems like, well, this must be true because everyone is saying it. And, and, and that's people, why. Well, then people right. are not being true to themselves, you know, and that's where it comes. That, that's where you draw a line. Why do I have to be what everybody else wants me to be? I mean, why can't I just be who I am or have my opinions? I just right. think bullshit i think the kids in colleges are being brainwashed i think this is one of the biggest problems that we have you know and people you can't be you can't be human anymore you got to be like a like what they want you to be and it's just i don't think it's fair you know i don't think it's right well, i think it's really ca causing a big divide in in uh in society 
Yeah. Well, I think that they would say they are being themselves. Um, but I mean, do you know, like, do you know who you are at that age? Yeah. Like even, even I mean, yesterday, Harry Styles yesterday posted a picture on Instagram where he was wearing a dress and eating a banana. And my son who was 22. He says, you know, okay, fine. He's wearing a dress, but why is everybody like hitting on it? Like they're so happy that he's doing this. Like, you know, like what's the purpose? Like a men not going to not able to be men anymore. Like what's, what, what's the message that's being sent? You know what I mean? Like if you're a man, if you want to be a manly man, what's wrong with that? You know, if you want to be a transgender, be a transgender. But like, why do you have to, a, a man who's a manly man is not no longer accepted. Right. Oh, it's, it's not, it's not right. I'm sorry. It's not, you know, who are they to change, change everything? You could be canceled now. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. But I'm Miss Homicide, Irma Rivera. But it's real. I'm, and I'm, what I'm saying, I, it's really not fair. It's not. No, but you're right. What this cancel, when he talks about cancel culture or the fact that people are ripping down statues of Civil War generals. You can't change history. You right. Are they really bothered by that? I mean, uh, the great professor from Toronto, Peterson, uh, said that, you know, people like that usually have very deep issues with themselves. And how are they trying to? solve the world's problems when, you know, it's like that general said, you want to do something for this world? First, make your bed. <laughs> yeah. I have no problem with people being who they want to be and everybody having their opinion. I am a hundred percent for that. I mean, I teach my kids, you know, have your own opinion, but when somebody's forcing an opinion down your throat is completely different, you know, and it's just not yeah. fair. And I don't think it's right. And social media, they control you. They can control what they're going to show you, mm. you know? So I just think that is it, we, we're going in the wrong direction. That's just my opinion. Right. And, and, and talking about racism, another thing, let me tell you, racism is not just black and white. Absolutely, we're absolutely heading in. in the black community, race, there, there is racism among themselves. In Hispanic community, the same thing about the color of your skin, you know? And even in the black community, if you're a light-skinned black person, a lot of the dark-skinned black people don't like them, don't like you. You know, so there's racism in all forms of life, you know, so it's just like, you know, it's like people just want to choose like what's racist and what's not. And it's just not fair. Well, it's just like when, you know, they try, they're trying all of these and not just police departments, but even corporate America with, with implicit bias training. Mm -hmm. I mean, who is a company or someone to tell you that you're implicitly biased? They're, they're trying to legislate what you think. Right. No one can legislate what you think. They can legislate your actions if they're against the law, but no one can legislate what you think. Right. So implicit from kind of the timeline of how this went, because implicit the, the conversation about implicit bias has been around for a while now. Um, and there's there is something to it. We all have our brains all make decisions subconsciously before we have time to process information. It's a survival instinct, right? Um, the way I talk about, you know, in law enforcement, well, the way I talk about implicit bias in shoot or no shoot is, okay, what's your, what are the experiences you've had as an officer? Who's more likely to kill you, factually speaking, right? A young black male is astronomically more likely to kill you than an 85-year-old white woman, right? Or black woman. Like age in and of itself is a huge factor. So those implicit biases are and you can call them stereotypes if you want, but oftentimes, in fact, in my opinion, most of the time, stereotypes are based on reality. Now, it doesn't mean you just go, okay, well, 
you're from you're from Nebraska. You must be a redneck who you know um, talks to cows, right? Like that's not. You know what I mean? There's always exceptions. You don't, you don't talk to cows? <laughs> I don't. His girlfriend's a sheep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, was that sheep? Not bad. You know, I had to use that one. <laughs> right. So, being an adult is recognizing that everyone's an individual and we don't all fit the stereotypes. But so, implicit bias was this way of saying no matter what you say, no matter whether you've ever done anything overtly racist, you're still a racist because you don't recognize these implicit biases. And so we've segued from that. And now we're talking about this pervasive and systemic racism. And again, it's something that you can't prove isn't true. If someone says, Bill, Irma, you guys have Im implicit racial, racial bias and you don't know it. Well, how do you disprove that? Mm -hmm. You can't. No. And the same thing is true of this, this idea of pervasive and systemic racism, which just drives me insane because no one has ever, uh, as far as I've heard, actually laid a foundation for why they think this is true. Mm -hmm. I've never seen any facts or data that suggest um, that police officers are making decisions on, you know, in the field that show that there's this implicit racial bias here. In fact, most of the statistics, all of the statistics that I know of when it comes to police shootings, um, uh, all point the other direction that police officers are very careful to not, you know, um, you know, you have stats that say that uh, minority officers are more likely to shoot minority suspects in the same exact situation that a white officer would be in. Right. So the stats point the other direction. So we must talk about this thing that you cannot deny, which is pervasive and systemic racism because it's, it's systemic. You can't see it. You can't touch it. Um, it's not one specific policy, which everyone I think would be fine with. If you point out a policy and say, hey, that policy is racist. It says that these people, you know, based on their race, gender, ethnicity, whatever, should be treated differently. Where's that policy? Right. But that's not the conversation because they've created this, this monster that is undefinable. And so you can't disprove it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's masterful propaganda. Terrence, one of the things that I notice a lot of times and, and with um, a lot of people on the left is that they will always quote science and say, I believe in science, except if it goes against their ideology, then right. they want nothing to do with science. Mm -hmm. Because if it disproves their political views, all of a sudden they're like, oh, 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 oh you know, oh, what? I thought you just said you believed in science. This is the science. These are the statistics, you know. Jordan Peterson uses that all the time and says, wait a minute. Right. No, these are the facts that it's not, it's not to be debated. It's factual. The statistics tell us this, and then they don't want to hear right. it. You know, they don't want to hear it. I, I also think that it depends like in what state the cops are in. Like if you work in an urban city, the majority of people are going to be dark, you know, black, Hispanics, you know, but it, Across America, there's a lot of areas that are, there's no black people. What are the statistics mm -hmm. there? How many cops have shot a white person there? You know, and there are cops who are racist. We all know that there are people. There's cops. There's there's teachers. There's people all over the world that are racist. You know, but I mean, when you wear the you blue you the blue uniform, you know, people think that you are 
have to be a little bit different, which you, you, you should be, but some people are not. Some people are racist, you know, but that yeah. racist cop, and I can tell you, and you should know this too, the fact that you're an officer, that racist cop, most cops would not want to work with that person, you know, mm-hmm. unless you're a racist like him, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure you've seen that in your police department when you work. Did you have any black people in your community when you worked? Yes. You did, okay. And how, were all the cops in your police department accepting of black people were there any that were racist so you were kind of breaking up so i'm assuming i might be breaking up here but i think i got the gist of the question and i kind of had to flip it on you because i never saw a white police officer treat anyone of color black hispanic whatever uh with any sort of animus um you know and you work with these guys day in and day out you know you're you're the guy in the precinct next to you, this district next to you, precinct north of you, whatever you're on calls with these guys all the time. So you know, what's normal for them. You know how they kind of work with, work with people. Um, And that's an important distinction. You know, a civilian goes, well, that cop's an asshole. It must be racist. Well, that cop's an asshole to everyone. Right. So um, without that context, you can't tell, but as, as the fellow officer, I never saw an officer of any color, Mm-hmm. treat someone differently that I could tell or treat someone poorly or make an arrest decision based on their color mm-hmm. or anything else that, that you can't control, right? Any of the kind of, uh, um, you know, immutables, your religion, whatever, ethnicity, anything like that. Um, I will say that I had, I did notice that with several different black officers, there was, well, first of all, I was accused of being racist because I called out a fellow officer who was black, basically for being a lazy, just, just lazy. I mean, he, he never handled calls in his district. We call them empty suits in New York. Right. Yeah. yeah. He, he was, um, he dodged calls all the time. Uh, I handled his district 90% of the time and I got fed up with it. And I was like, listen, dude, like you need to do your job. Like, this is how, this is how it works. This, this isn't Right. We all signed up to do this. We're sticking our necks out. This isn't brotherly. And, you know, of course I'm a racist, but uh, the only racism I really saw in the department was came from black officers who um, either threw that card out as an excuse um, or used it to gain promotion. Um, You know, for example, threatening the department that they were going to sue if they didn't get promoted, even though that particular officer should not have been in a leadership position. He was a terrible sergeant um so but but outside of that and especially dealing with the public i never saw an officer um do anything that made me go you know whoa like why why is he treating that person that way so yeah i didn't see it i mean i i saw some racist racism you know and i think everybody does when you see a a young a young, you know, kid driving a nice expensive car. I mean, years ago, I mean, that, that's a car you would pull over, you know, and I still see that sometimes on the highway where you see a kid pulled over with a nice car and you, and you look and the kid's black or Hispanic, you know, but, um, you know, it depends what police department you're in, but now I'm not saying, and most cops, like I, I do say are not racist, you know, and that most cops will help you no matter what color skin you have. I've never see, seen anybody the same way you're saying, you know, not help somebody, even junkies get help. People who are uh, on the street, yeah you know, oozing from their, from shooting up. I mean, back in the eighties, they still help them. You still help them. You help everybody. That's 
part yeah. of the economy. I think I think that's why most people go on police departments because they want to do good, mm -hmm. you know. And there's other reasons, you know, the pay, the pension, and all of that stuff. It's a secure job. You get health insurance. That's the new cops. That's that's the new cops. I feel. No, but I'm just saying that. But for the most part, yeah. people come on the job for the right reasons, and right. If you don't. Usually, you're weeded out. Either mm -hmm. that your personality can't handle being a cop, or yeah. the job weeds you out. Mm -hmm. You know. But these days, I can't imagine what, and I really, my heart breaks for these kids uh, that are on a job now because with video cameras uh, capturing every single thing they do, you know, with the restrictions put on them by progressive uh, politicians, for example, in, in New York City, um, you know, they had the whole stop, question, and frisk um, sort of a scandal when, when it was used under the previous administration as a, a numbers game type thing. They wanted X amount of stops per cop per tour in the theory that that's what uh, prevented crime. But as a result, they were stopping people without reasonable suspicion and it, it, it blew up in their face basically. And the city was sued and, you know, rightfully so. And that was, I believe under Michael Bloomberg who was, you know, who's now is trying to spend all kinds of money trying to get Republicans unelected, you mm -hmm. know, and well, he was a Republican mayor, but he was really a Democrat. He ran as a Republican. See, the biggest problem with that is hesitating as a cop hesitating. Yes. You know, and I mean, I mean, I pulled my gun in someone, you know, a couple of times when I was a cop, especially in uniform. And for that split second that you have your finger on the trigger, the thoughts go in your head. Does he have a gun? You know, you think really quick and it's fast. You, you know, you have to think really quick. I mean, I went on a rooftop, caught a guy sodomizing a boy. And for that split second, I had my gun out. I, I couldn't shoot him. I know I'm justified in shooting him. I mean, at that point, but you start clicking like, does he have a gun? You know, does he know him? Like all those thoughts go in your head and you hesitate. So now imagine hesitating now. Now you you might have, you will hesitate a lot longer because now you know, I'm going to go to jail, blah, blah, blah. Like before, yeah. I, I didn't think about going to jail. I just thought, does he have a gun? Would it be a good shooting? All those thoughts. But now it's like, oh my God, if I shoot this guy, am I going to get arrested? You know, what's going to happen if he dies? Is he, I'm going to be all over the news. All those thoughts have to go in your head. And that's well, you know, Burma, back in the day, they would give the presumption of uh, doing the right thing to the officer. Right. Now it seems like it's going to the other way because, you know, even with this whole prison reform thing and bail reform, it's like, how are we all of a sudden idolizing criminals? You know, right. how do we suddenly, you know, give the right to vote to convicted felons? Where did this come from? You know? Terrence, do, the, do a lot of the cops that you speak to from on your on your podcast, do they all feel the same way about the hesitation and how do they feel about like what are they telling you that, that you know that you notice like about that? Um, I'm, I think I don't know that we've talked deeply on that specific topic, um, but I mean that's that's the essence of what makes them all uncomfortable right now and what makes what makes us uncomfortable you know this idea that you could lose it all even if you do everything right and that's that's a huge distinction that people need to understand everyone if if you're not so sympathetic towards cops or you're kind of drinking this kool-aid that you're seeing in the media and black lives matter all that stuff the comment i hear all the time is well they signed up for that right the officer who shot jacob blake justifiably so signed up for that so 
I don't feel bad for him. The guy who shot Richard Brooks, he signed up for that. I don't feel bad for him, even though, you know, these these officers are getting charged with murder when they have they've very clearly justifiably used deadly force. And so my response to that is no. Listen, cops sign up knowing their job is dangerous. And, you know, that's why it's a noble career. You don't get paid enough to risk your life every time you put on the uniform, but but we still do it, right? Um, because, Bill, like you were saying, you know, most cops sign up because they want to help people. Um, that's what they sign up for. They sign up to help. They sign up to to arrest bad guys, to enforce the law, and to help people. They did not sign up to risk their livelihoods because some politician wants to get reelected, some district attorney. And that was the case in Atlanta. He's running for reelection. He's a Democrat and is charging this officer with murder before the investigation was even close to being complete. Um, So cops don't sign up for that. No one should have to sign up for that. And, and, and getting to your question, Irma, no one signed up. You froze. To have a second make life. I don't know what the deal is. Our um, our internet's always been great here. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you just froze for a second. You said Irma. What were you going to say? And then that's what I heard. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. You're frozen, kind okay, of. Okay. So these officers. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. So these officers did not sign up to to have to second guess what they know is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not a fair place to put them in. Um, a lot of people think, well, I don't feel bad because they, they signed up for that. They didn't. And no, no one should be expected to. And quite frankly, if we're going to continue down this road, no one is going to sign up to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, See, no one, no one knows what it's like to have that fear that everything, that you're going to be dead. Right. Is everything nobody knows that split second of the fear of it's either him or me. What are you going to do? I mean, and for the cops to hesitate for that second is what's costing them so many. How many cops have gotten shot in the last year? Well, you know, something 89 89 cops have been killed in 2020. That's a lot of cops, 20% were targeted. by like a you know like a hit squad type thing you know yeah twenty percent of those eighty yeah. nine that's pretty disturbing statistic it is I mean scary like you know imagine being on patrol now I mean I can't you know I have the highest respect for the cops when I see them I always go I mean they don't know I was a cop I was I'm always say I always say to them thank you for your service you know hi officer you know I teach my kids to do the same because. They seem so surprised when someone says hi to them these days, you know, they actually get really happy, you know? Well, you know, even the way cops are trained in regards to uh, deadly physical force, one of the reasons you would have your gun out and you're taught to have your gun out during a car stop is because you don't want to be killed with your gun still locked in the leather. You know what I mean? Right. You're also taught, you know, to, to when you testify, my gun was out because I feared for my life. And I've heard people, academics say, if you fear for your life under those circumstances, maybe you shouldn't be a cop. And I was just like, what does this academic know about making a statement like that? You know, these progressive academics, a lot of them from John Jay College in Mm -hmm. in New York City, which used to be a a criminal justice school. 
They put out some of the worst mm -hmm. garbage these days. See, professors, a lot of those professors never were in the real world. They've been oh. in academia their whole freaking lives. They went from college straight into the universities. They don't know what the real world is. I worked at NYU when I retired from the police department. What a joke. I'm telling you, these professors, first of all, they run the universities. They get paid all this money. And they don't even know what the real freaking world is about, you know? I mean, it was like, it was a great job, but just the politics of it, I really didn't like it. Yeah, but it's just like, who, where do they get these opinions from when there's no experience? And when they write up these like defund the police proposals, John Jay just did a, um, a whole report on how um, civilians or the uh, politi politicians could lower crime Oh, excuse me, lower violence in neighborhoods without the police. And oh. they made all of these suggestions. You know, one of them was comprehensive, um, uh, what's it called, where you give everyone a, um, an income. Comprehensive uh, income, it's called, where they just pay someone 1500 2000 a month to do absolutely nothing. Like, that's one of those socialistic ideas that a lot of these mm -hmm. people are coming up with that are scary. Where know? does the money come from, though? Where's the, where the, the taxpayers? The taxpayers. It's ridiculous. Oh yeah, it's called universal uh, basic income. It's called universal mm -hmm. basic income. You know, and the other yeah, another theory stop. was to pay gang members to not commit crimes. Like, where does that come from? Whose idea is that? You know, <laughs> they were right. doing that in New York City. That was another De Blasio idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I don't know where these ideas come from. And it seems to be that, that these, the academics um, are so attracted to these utopian ideas. Um, and, and I think that they simply do not understand what true human nature is. Um, and, and that goes back to the whole conversation on Marxism and communism. Uh, it's a great idea. It really is. If everyone could get along, share everything, um, sing Kumbaya and, and just. <laughs> oh, I was like, going to say, we are the world. Yeah. We are the children. <laughs> Kumbaya, I like better. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I just want to. Sounds One cool. of our previous guests, Dr. Stephen Washkel, who's a uh, psychologist, just said mm. implicit bias training undermines the natural and trained skills of police officers. Terrence, you're frozen. There you go. Okay. Yep. So he says implicit bias training undermines the natural and trained skills of police officers. That's from a psychologist. And yeah, yeah. I agree. You know, I don't know what's I don't know what's gonna happen, but I just see it all just going downhill. I mean, every car stop I see, every time I see a cop interacting with someone on the street right now, especially here in Midtown, someone is yelling at the cops mistreating them, cursing at them, videotaping them. You know, what, what could the cops do? They can't do anything. Crime is up the roof. Right. Shootings are up. No one is stopping anybody on the street. Half the guys out here carrying guns. You know, it's just like, it's the whole mm -hmm. thing. It's like a domino effect. The whole thing is falling apart. And it started before COVID. And we all know that they're using COVID as an excuse. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. then, and then they want to uh, have cops go into bars and arrest bar owners for... Uh, opening you know right crime is running rampant on the street and uh you know and give people summonses for not wearing masks you know yeah, it's Terrence, yeah. Terrence i'm gonna tell you i'm gonna tell you a, a quick story um 
you know, recently I took, uh, you know, in the city, they're always talking about the brown, black and brown communities. They're not treating them right with COVID, all this other, other stuff, you know, all this racism. You know, I've taken about 20 COVID tests. I already had the COVID. I had it in March. Mm-hmm. My husband had a heart attack. So I take a COVID test all the time. You know, we, we my whole family has to. I, I was recently on vacation. I came back. I took a COVID test. It was negative. Before I left, it was negative. When I'm here, I, I'm waiting four days to take another COVID test. Now I'm in Washington Heights, which is a predominantly Dominican neighborhood. I'm up there and I see them set up a tent and, I, and it was like three people online. I said, oh, let me take another COVID test. I may as well, I need one to take one in one more day on Saturday. I take a COVID test in Washington Heights, comes back positive. I get a positive result on my test. When I see that I, the next morning, I got the results in less than 24 hours. I said to myself, oh my God, my family's gonna kill me, I, I'm positive. I go to CityMD, I take a quick t- test, it's negative. I take a PCR test, I was isolated for the last few days, that test was negative. Are they playing with numbers? They offered me the city of New York to put me up in a hotel for free. You know how much money that cost? To put mm-hmm. me up in a hotel for free, they offered me all this stuff, but the test was really not positive, it was negative. You know, what are they playing? Are they playing games, the black and brown community, make it seem like we're not getting, we're not getting anything. You know, um, they, we, our numbers are higher. The number, I mean, this is a perfect lie. You know, like, what are they doing? How many people up there were told that they're positive during that test and they, they're not? Mm-hmm. You know, so I just think that, I mean, they're making it worse. They're making it seem like everybody's racist. Everybody's against the black and brown community, you know, and the people in those communities don't feel that way. A lot of them don't. Right. It's just like they're using they're using us and they're using Black Lives Matter and they're using Black people, you know, and and minorities, you know, because Black Lives Matter isn't even Black. They're not even Black. Right. You know, they're yeah. not even Black. It's run by white people. Like, you know, you know, it's it's ridiculous, you know, and anybody who believes that, you know, they, they're really getting used and, and they should really realize that the system is bullshit. Yeah. Um Black Rednecks and White Liberals, a book by Thomas Sowell that is phenomenal. Just your comment on that, you know, a lot of these people are white people. Um, But if I could, if I could throw a little bit of a silver lining into this that I think is starting to show up. um, I'm with you guys 100%. We're in a very dark place. It may get darker and it sucks to be in law enforcement right now, especially, especially for these young guys who are like, uh, and gals um, who are going, man, I have a long time in this career if I want to stick this out and this does not look good. Um, the the silver lining that I'm starting to see, look at the numbers for, for Hispanics and Blacks that voted for Trump. Exactly right. right? Exactly. And listen, I'm not, I'm not a Trumper. I was never a never Trumper. I was never a Trumper. Like the guy did a bunch of good stuff during his first four years. Um, But the entire time he was a racist, a bigot, misogynist, homophobe, all these things. And I mean, they've taken it so far that yes, masses tend to kind of just go along with the flow, but eventually people realize they're being duped. Eventually people realize it's a bunch of bullshit and they go, maybe I should stop assuming the news media is telling me the truth. And I think people are waking up because they have taken it so far. Um, So that's the silver lining. I think 
And, and for one thing about Trump, though, I think about him, his attitude, I think yeah. he's very New York. Like, that's like a, kind of like a New York attitude that he has. Yeah. You know, I mean, in New York, people talk like that. You know, some people act like they're, they might not like gay people. They might not like black people, but they do. It's, it's New York, you know? So, I mean, mm. the comments he makes, some the, sometimes his comments are so ignorant. Like, I mean, some stuff he says, I'm like, oh my God, he should just shut up. But oh, he, he should have stayed off Twitter too. That was like- uh... I mean, the, the first Republican, yeah. the first Republican, um, what do you call that? Um, debate is when he kind of like lost it all but yeah. even still he still had a lot of votes you know and it shows that people want law and order you know and that's what we are losing is law and order and if we lose law and order we lose it all well you know in most neighborhoods uh black and brown neighborhoods uh, the neighborhoods in new york city that are high crime neighborhoods the people that live there they want the police they, they want more police. they don't want less police these defund police people uh, you know, the, these little snowflakes that are uh, suburbanites and they don't live in the hood, you know? And the perps, and the perps want to defund the police. Yeah, of course they do. But, you know, something people that are hardworking or working poor, working middle class, they want more police protection. Mm. When I hear, look, as a retired cop, when I hear people say defund the police, that's not what I want. I want more police. I want to know my family's protected. I want to yeah. know if I call the police, they're going to come, you know? Mm. Not, oh, yeah. sorry, we have no cars tonight because we were defunded, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's obscene, you know? You want the cops to show up knowing that they're going to help, you know, they, they're not, they're not going to be afraid to show up, you know, at least show up, you know? And Don't, and don't send the violence interrupter uh, with a social, uh, you know? Social worker. That's a social yeah. worker degree, you know? You should, they, should, you should, they should try that yeah. for a month and then see what happens. Yeah. Well, I one mean, was already killed. One was already killed? Yeah. See? So let's keep sending them. Yeah, she was stabbed to death by yep. you. Wow, that's yeah. horrible. Yeah, because they don't understand mm. that going to EDP jobs, which stands for emotionally disturbed person, they're one of some of the most dangerous jobs that the police go on. And let me tell you right Absolutely. now, right now on the street, I you can see so many people and I see them, like I'm in Midtown today. I saw two people, two guys, they're off their meds and you can tell that they're, they're probably functioning adults but right now they're all off the meds. And the reason why they're off the meds, the doctors not the doctors are not at the hospital. A lot of people don't have doctor appointments. In New York, especially Thrive New York, what the hell happened to all that money? You know, right now these people need medication, a lot of them that are walking around. I mean, right. they're like zombies, but you they need their meds and a lot of them are not getting them. And that's the problem. I, I don't think that it's just the homelessness, the drug addicts. I think a lot of it is mentally ill. And they're right now with COVID and not having doctors around or not having doctor's offices open or all these different rules, that's what, that's what's- Oh, it definitely exacerbates the, the whole problem. It definitely does. You know, Terrence, Absolutely. one thing I wanted to touch upon because uh, you touch upon it a lot in your um, podcast and that, that is the role of the press. And I think one of the best ways to illustrate how dangerous and damaging the press can be is in the reporting of the Michael Brown case. Because so many things about mm -hmm. that case were absolutely 100% lies. And they reported mm -hmm. it as the truth. The whole hands up, don't shoot thing never happened. It was an absolute lie by the co-defendant of Michael Brown in the robbery. He's the one that carried that narrative and they all ran with it. And the, mm -hmm. when the press always says he was unarmed, wait a minute. He reached into the car and tried to grab the cop's gun. That's not unarmed. 
that's attempting to get armed by taking the cop's gun. The physical evidence in that case proved that he reached into the car. His DNA was inside that car. The spent shells were inside that car. Yet they didn't report any of that, you know? And for how many days did the city burn until ultimately the truth came out? And I believe even after the truth came out, the poor cop, he got fired. Why did he get fired? Every day he did everything right. Yet he got fired. And then I, as I, I also believe Michael Brown's family got a settlement. Why? You know, are we all frozen now? <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Um, Terrence is a little bit frozen. Yeah, I thought I'm kind of hesitating, but I mean, I understand why. You're frozen, Terrence. So I understand why the officer, Darren Wilson, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. We hear you. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So I understand a couple of things you touched on, Bill. I understand why Darren Wilson would have to end his career in law enforcement. He shouldn't have been fired. Um, he was too high profile, in my opinion, to be able to continue doing that job. hundred percent. Um, but then they should have gave him a disability pension, let him retire. Right. Exactly. Uh, he didn't do anything wrong. The evidence proved that. But yet now he's, you know, he's a pariah. I, I don't know where the guy could live or go in this world without always being pointed at as someone that did right. something wrong. And he didn't do anything wrong. He did his job. And if he didn't do it right, he would probably be dead today. You know? Right. Um, and then the other thing I want to touch on was the, the way the media handled Ferguson. I do, uh, and this is something I never say, I, I do give the media a little bit of a break because, you know, as you said, uh, Michael Brown's buddy who was standing next to him when this all went down, who was there for the, the gas station robbery, all that stuff. Um, he absolutely 100% lied, made a, made up this fabricated story, but then, the community in Ferguson chose knowing it was not true to perpetuate this lie. And I can't really fault the media for putting this person in front of a live camera and saying, well, you were, you were next to Michael Brown. What happened? Right. Um, But when the truth came out, when Obama's DOJ did their investigation and was able to prove well beyond reasonable doubt that that officer Darren, Darren Wilson was completely justified in his use of deadly force. The media says nothing, right? right. They, they run their, their corrections uh, on the 25th page of something no one ever reads anyways. And w- when in reality, if the media is doing their job, they should have been running, you know, they should have been talking about that for weeks on end, explaining to the American people why, this was not an example of racist policing of, of a young black man being gunned down you know, randomly by a white police officer, but none of them are going to do that because it doesn't fit their goals. It doesn't make them money. Um, it doesn't, it just doesn't fit their agenda. And that's, that's where you can't let them off the hook. Well, I think initially I, you know, I do, but at the time, Darren Wilson was interviewed on CNN by Anderson Cooper. And Anderson Cooper interviewed him in a very antagonistic way, almost yeah. like he was a the guilty party. 
Mm-hmm. And I thought Darren Wilson, I, I, first of all, I didn't understand why he went on CNN, period, because they're not, you know, a police-friendly station. And they showed that in the way they asked questions to him, you know. And he mm-hmm. came across to me as very sympathetic, even though they tried to make him look unsympathetic. I have a question. What? So yeah. you said it's not their agenda. What is the media's agenda? To, well, for one, to make money. Mm-hmm. I mean, so number one, they're a business. They want to make money. But number two, the our institutions, our academic institutions and Hollywood and the media um, are all controlled by people we talked about earlier who've never really lived in the real world. They believe in these, these, you know, pie in the sky utopian ideas. And so they're, they're trying to make the America that exists today um, out to be this horrible, evil thing that must be destroyed. So we can get to this utopian, you know, we can bring in this new era um, and get to that utopia. Uh, that's, that's the general sense that I get right now. And Hollywood, is so yeah. fake. and Hollywood is so fake with what they're doing also. I mean, I mean, if people, if people believe that what they see on TV, like what Hollywood is doing, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. Right. Um, I mean, Ricky Hollywood, Gervais is one of my heroes. Go ahead. <laughs> What's that? No, you can go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say Hollywood is being racist also because Hollywood right now is only hiring black actors. You know, what about everybody right else? What about the Hispanics, the Chinese, everybody else? You know, I mean, every commercial is a black woman with a white guy or vice versa. What, what about everybody else? What about Asians, Hispanics, you know, anybody else, you know, Indians, Filipinos. I mean, everybody else is just like, they're just doing it like just one, two cultures, black and white, and that's it. You know, Hollywood is, I mean, I mean they're so fake. I, I, I watch more documentaries now because half the stuff on Hollywood, half the actors uh, sell out. See, they, they're so fit, phony. And yet they don't live in a, they, they live in Hollywood. They don't live in, in an inner city. Yeah. You know? Again, they don't know what they're, they have no reference for what they're, t- LeBron James, you know, keeps spouting off about police incidents. Like he knows anything about what it's like to be in that cop's shoes. Um and, you know, if people are dumb enough to listen to p- people's opinions just because they're famous, then I, I, I guess, I mean, if you're a lemming, you're a lemming. I can't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the answer is there. Um, but Ricky Gervais, uh, was it the the Golden Globes or the Emmys or something? The Golden Globes. <laughs> was it? When he got up there and just, just roasted Hollywood, just brutally roasted Hollywood. I mean, it was... It was amazing. When he said, Greta Thunberg, you should go back to school and be quiet. Oh, I see that. What was that? Yeah. What show was that? It was the Golden Globes. You had to see Tom Hanks's. Oh, I had to watch that. He was like horrified oh. that he was saying this stuff. Was that this year's Golden Globe? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't watch it. It was great. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, it's been a while now, but yeah, if you if you look up Ricky Gervais, Golden Globes, you'll you'll see it. And it it's uh it was brilliant and Good. much needed. Yeah, yep. when he said, when he said, when you come up here and you win your little award, be gracious, say thank you, but shut up about politics. Most of you <laughs> have no education and you're not qualified to talk. I was like, oh, this is great. But yeah. the faces of them, they were like shocked that Good. He, was, he was slapping them down, right? <laughs> yeah, because no one, no one in that 
in that industry ever calls them out on their bullshit. I mean, look at the get college, up here. Look at the college stuff. Getting the kids in college paying for it. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Pony. Well, you know when they'll start showing their colors is when they demand equal pay for female stars as compared to male stars. And you're going to see, oh, no, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> they, they, they already showed the, the ones that live in New York that, that, that ran out of here the minute the city fell apart, they showed their true colors. And that's another thing. How many people ran out of New York? You come into New York, you get our prices up in rent, you get the real estate is through the roof, and all of a sudden something happens and they all run away. I mean, give me a freaking break. You know, if you're a real New Yorker, you would have stayed here like right. me. Thank you, yeah. <laughs> Lower, Lower East Side, Irma. I mean, Alphabet City, Irma. <laughs> Alphabet City. I didn't know that was the term you liked, you know. So, Terrence, let's talk just a bit, touch a bit more on your podcast. Where are you going with your podcast? And I know that, you know, the reason you have it is a great reason that you want to educate the public. But do you think the public really wants to be educated about policing or they have these prejudices and they just want those prejudices reinforced? And they'll want to hear the real deal. No, I think that it is rare to find a person who truly wants the truth. Um, and and if there, if I have a shtick, that's it. I literally only care about finding the truth on these things. Um, I'm willing to question everything I know and throw it all away. If you can prove to me that the truth is something other than what I believe it to be. Um, I don't think that's most people. I think the masses generally do want to just they seek out information that supports what they already believe. Um, but to answer where it's going, I have changed my tact and become much more in your face, much more um, just brutally honest about these things because I, I see now that number one, I'm speaking for law enforcement across our nation. Um, and And I say that not as a, uh, not because I'm some sort of narcissist or anything like that. I don't think I'm really all that important, but because I, because my listeners write in and say, thank you for saying the things that no one ever gets to hear us say. Right. Um, so I see that I have the ability to speak for officers around the country. And I also see that no one is going to listen unless I, unless I speak. Oh, you froze. It, I mean, you, you know how cops talk, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it, it, in your face. It is, it is as honest as the day is long. And, um, and if people are going to listen, I think that's one thing that'll grab their attention. So that's kind of the direction we're going um, much more kind of raw, uh, much more offensive. I don't care if I offend anyone. Um, I know who I am. And if you're, if you're not adult enough to listen to someone who you disagree with, then, then I don't have the time of day to deal with you anyways. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's hard to reach the other side, but. Yeah, but I give you credit because I think, I think you're, you're, you're right in the middle. Like, you, you know, both sides and, you know, you're, I think you're a good person to, um, you know, bring this out to America for people to see. And I think you're pretty fair. Yeah, I, I try to be. I listen to, I don't know if you guys ever listen to Joe Rogan. Yes. He's, one, he's one of my favorite podcasters. And it's because he, um, because of the same reason, you know, Joe really does, is really trying to have good, the conversation without trying to win an argument. He's trying to find out 
is, you know, learn and um, find, you know, find knowledge. And yeah, sometimes he can kind of, someone can mislead him because he doesn't know enough about a topic, but like that, that would happen to the best of us. You know, he, he talks about such a broad range. You can't expect him to know um, when someone's feeding him a line of crap, which I've seen cops do um, to him, but yeah. So that, so I definitely, that is the goal. But I want know, to be, um, um, Rogan he's a good example. I'm sorry, Terrence. It's hard to sometimes when you're talking, no, examples, but uh, sometimes, uh, I mean, Joe Rogan is a great podcast. Obviously he's number one, but he, a group of people just recently tried to cancel him, you know, because of something he said. And the, the company that yeah. hired him was like, oh, we need to change your podcast. He's like, I'm not changing anything. I signed the contract and how I got here is doing what I'm doing. You're not changing anything. And I thought that was so great. But he has the power right. to do that because he's the number one podcaster in the nation. You know. Exactly. You know, the little guy can't do that because they'll just get canceled. Right. Exactly. Keep it real. And that's what really I mean, when you keep it real, it's, it's better. Right. Well, the left fears Joe mm -hmm. because he, he at this point can't be silenced and he has a much larger following than as uh, from my understanding, more people listen to his pot, each of his podcasts than are watching CNN and MSNBC wow. and CNBC, uh, right? Like his audience is so huge. He has more power than the mainstream media right now. Right. And they don't like that. They, no, it, they hate that. They hate that. You know? Now they don't have the control. So I, I love it. Um, yeah, he went to Spotify. But from what I know of Joe, I do trust that there's no way they're going to tell him what he can and can't say on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, He's, too so, powerful. He's too powerful. Yeah. I mean, he can walk away and his audience is going to follow him. And then, you know, I have spot. I pay for Spotify. If, if Joe has to leave Spotify because they try to censor him, I'm canceling my Spotify membership. Right. So he's, he's definitely in the driver's seat and it's awesome. Cause he's, he's the guy to do it. Absolutely. What's that new Facebook? What's that new Facebook though? It's like Facebook, the new one that what's no, it? it's called, it's called parlor, but it's not very good right now. Oh, no, no parlor. Yeah. It's not up to snuff. One thing I wanted to mention uh, is that Irma and I both come from uh, pretty much heavy duty investigative backgrounds. In fact, Remember's a private eye right now, and but she did eleven years in Manhattan Special Victims, and then she finished her career in Manhattan South Homicide. I was myself sixteen years in the Detective Bureau. I went up from robbery into the Squad, and then finally into Homicide, where I finished my career. One of the things we know is that investigation and finding out truth takes time, and everyone knows that. Yet. We would almost on our jobs too sometimes have chiefs call us and say, What happened? And we say, Look, we don't know yet. And of course they would get mad because they're the chief, you know. I want to know, I'm the chief. We don't know yet, sir. You know, it takes time. And newspapers and journalists know that too. Yet they'll put out shit that they haven't vetted because it fits their criteria, what they want to report, or it fits their schedule. And we all know, as I said, I'll repeat it again good investigation, true investigation. Facts take time to find out, but no one wants to wait, you know. Do I have two frozen statues in front of me? I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm just so mellow right now. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead, Terrence. Terrence is yeah. frozen. 
think that is why. Uh, dang it. Can you hear me? Am I, am I busy? Is my video just frozen or is it my audio? No, I can hear you. Okay. So, yeah. And that's, that's why um, Black Lives Matter, for example, has been so successful because they don't rely on the facts, right? If, uh, if the masses want to know now, well, Black Lives Matter and the mainstream media will help them get a message out that says what they want you to think happened and why. And what, you know, I mean, the what happened is one thing. The why is even harder to figure out. They're going to tell you right away. And they're going to tell you in ways that are easy to, to repeat, you know, short uh, soundbite phrases that, that you can write on posters, that you can chant as you march down the street. It's, it is the basics of propaganda and with social media it, it's even easier so um yeah they're they're just playing human nature uh they're they're playing people by taking advantage of human nature rather so um it's a hard thing to fight yeah i mean it's but they're, they're taking, they're taking it, they they're actually really abusing the the minority community and they, they oh absolutely they don't, and they don't realize it some people Absolutely. are realizing it now, but they are, they're using them. And, and, you know, I, and it's sad because I, I mean, I, I see it. And the fact that I'm Hispanic, I, I do see it. Yeah. Um, you look at the number of shootings that are happening, you know, people being shot and killed in Chicago in the, on just two days on the weekend. Um, you know, I think it was father's day weekend. They had over a hundred people get shot. If I remember that's the right weekend, but um, you know, and then you've got, there's a video of a gentleman who lives in Englewood, Chicago's, you know, the worst neighborhood in Chicago. And he grabs the megaphone from these protesters, you know, these BLM Antifa guys. And I know they're different, but is, you know, the, the norm there's BLM, there's Antifa, whatever. He grabs the megaphone and says, listen, if you have a problem, you're not from here. This is my community. This is our community. And we have a relationship with the commander of this area. And we, we can go talk to him. If we have a problem, if you have a problem with something that happened, go down to the police station, the main station and protest there, get out of our neighborhood. Good. And I mean, that's that silver lining. Mm -hmm. That's people waking up going, man. Yeah. It seemed kind of cool when everyone's like, yeah, black lives matter. But when they start to see that black lives matter has been the worst thing for black people in America sure. um, in the last the last four years, mm -hmm. I mean, people will start to wake up. And yeah. unfortunately, the minority communities, as you said, Irma, are paying the highest price. Um, and, it, and it does take, you know, the silent majority and people in those communities who are already struggling um, to, to stand up for themselves. Mm -hmm. So well, what happens when you stand up for yourself, then they shut you down. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, you know, you got you got the Joe Rogans and you've got Ben Shapiro's and um, Jordan, Jordan Peterson is one of the best. Jordan Peterson. Yep. Um, and, you know, that is the the good conversations that need to happen are happening more so now um, because the mainstream media is I don't know how long they're going to be the mainstream media. Right. Let's see, yeah. what happens. Let's see what happens when Biden becomes president. My prediction is they're going to get him out of office with the 25th Amendment. Either that they're going to say that he's unfit for office for whatever reason, and she's going to take over, and then everything's going to switch. 
It's very possible. I, I think that is, uh, that's one of their game plans. You know, of course they've probably got multiple, but that's yeah. Why, that's why they mentioned the 25th amendment when, when Trump had Corona, they put that out there. Yep. And I'll tell you that I can see them doing it with him and then she's going to take over and the, everything's going to go left and let's see what happens then. Mm -hmm. Well, that's if they also win the Senate, if they win these two seats in Georgia, we're, we're in deep trouble. You know, just we got to plan for our future, you know, our kids' future, you know, and hopefully everything gets better at some point. But mm -hmm. I don't see a, a big change coming anytime soon. Yeah. You know, the police lost their power, you know, and like I said before, we need law and order. We don't have that. I mean, we don't have nothing. It's, yeah. almost, it's almost like, even though I'm not very religious, but they always say, like, when in homicide, they always say, like, you know, a man who grows up with no foundation, like, a, a, no religion, no foundation, the serial killers, a lot, a lot of times they came from that type of environment, no religion, no nothing, you know, no, no real structure, and, you know, those other people that tend to be, you know, serial killer, murderers, you know, so it's the same thing, without law and order, we don't have, what do we have? We don't have a society. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't have the foundation. No, we need it. And you need the foundation for everything. So I just hope that, you know, our lives get better and that COVID goes away and that people start respecting the police and that's it. Yeah. And that gets respecting the police gets to the narrative. Um, you have to win the hearts and minds first of, of the public mm -hmm. um, because we, we do live in a democratic republic. Mm -hmm. So if people think the police are a bad thing, then they're going to vote for politicians who are going to get rid of the police. I think we have to get away so. from Democrat and Republican. When I was a kid growing up, like, you know, we were Democrats because we always said the Democrats were for the poor people and the Republicans were the, for the rich people. But it's yeah. not like that anymore. That's the lie they've been telling for a long time. That's a big <laughs> lie, right. That's another big lie. So that's why a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a Democrat because they think Democrat is for the poor and Republican is for the for the rich. I think that we should get rid of both parties and just do it different. You know, guys, we are actually been talking for an hour and 25 minutes. And uh, I mean, we probably, we probably could go on and talk for much longer, but I think that uh, maybe we could save this and invite Terrence back another time. Yeah. Perhaps Martha and I will uh, appear on Terrence's uh, show, um, Police Academy. Now, why do you we call it police academy and not the police academy um it is uh, i don't know i mean really i typically do call it the police academy podcast okay. um is is the full name uh and and podcast is in there too because that is the main that's our main platform we're on youtube now every show goes on youtube as well um, but that's a new thing I, and partly because I think the people who want to learn are in podcasting right. um, YouTube, you know, you read the comments on YouTube and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> those people are never going to learn anything because I, the fact that I'm white means they're not going to listen, you know? Yeah. So it's so ignorant. It really is. Um, well, we had, a, we did a, a show um, in our first mm -hmm. year with Eric Reynolds, who was the arresting officer in the central park five case. And there's a lot of real nasty comments on YouTube. They don't, yeah. want, they don't want to believe. Um, and Eric Reynolds is black and mm -hmm. they don't want to believe that he believes they were guilty. You know, they don't want to. And so they, they tarnish him and they come after him and they try to, you know, call him all kinds of names on there. But because, uh, yeah. you know, they were never cleared by the court, but they were paid by, by 
civil in a civil suit right. was made. De Blasio decided to write a check for forty million dollars, but had Bloomberg stayed in office, they actually stalled the case to go beyond Bloomberg's term because he was going to fight it. Bloomberg, mm-hmm. he was going to fight it in civil court, but uh, De Blasio just wrote the check, and then of course they had that fictional documentary uh, by um, Ken Burns. What mm-hmm. when they, how they see us or when they. I don't know exactly what yeah, see that, that that that's a sensitive case. Like that case, you know, I mean, there's so many different opinions on it. So right, right. But I'm just t- saying the reaction we get on mm-hmm. YouTube for um yeah. you know presenting another side to the case. I'll put it that right. way. Right. Yeah, I I learned pretty quick just to not even read YouTube comments. <laughs> it's just not good for my health, you know. <laughs> it's sensitive, right? Yeah. All right, so listen. Um, do you have anything you want to plug? No, I just want to say I'm going to definitely listen to your podcast. It was really nice talking to you, and thank you for your service in the military and in the police department for us. You know, um, it was nice talking to you, and uh, yeah, you too. Listen to your, I'll definitely listen. Absolutely appreciate it, Terrence. Do you? I want to ask you one more question How many Patreon customers do you have? Um, I won't divulge that number. Uh, but it is hard on it. It's tough. It's really tough to get people to sign up. It it is. Um, and you, you kind of went toward that at the very beginning, you know, and I'll just tell you, it just takes time. I mean, I've been doing this for almost five years and you know, it's, it's to make, make money that feels like it's, kind of worth it you know right, right. so um it takes a long time and uh because you got to build right. that you got to build that trust uh with your audience before they want to go okay yeah i'm willing to pay for this right, so right. and it's it's a very small percentage of that audience so um but but you love every one of them because i mean if someone's willing to part with some of their their hard-earned money to you know hear me talk more uh <laughs> and be part of our membership then like you know that's that's just heartwarming and humbling at the same time so absolutely so anyway to all our customers um you can get us at www.patreon.com slash police off the cuff we have three tiers the first tier costs seven dollars a month it's called the bucket <laughs> you know why we call it the bucket right and then the second one which costs nine dollars a month is called polish my rack and there's a picture of my police rack uh, on that that's nine dollars a month and 11, the premier one, $11 a month is called dipped in butter. And I won't say what you can dip in butter, but that's why it's called the premier one dipped in butter. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. Hi, Taryn. Hi, Bill. Thank you guys so happy much. Happy holidays. Bill, thank you. Happy holidays too. And yeah. happy holidays, everybody. Bye, now. Bye guys.